Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. There are things in our life when we are confused aren't quite as humorous. Maybe there's a time that you stepped into a program on television and you didn't know what was going on, so you asked someone in the room, what is going on with this movie or this show? You're kind of confused. Some of you, even from time to time, while I'm preaching, you'll lean to the person next to me, where is he going with this? And so that's a little bit more sensitive. But something that is very dangerous, and some of you might have heard of this, sometimes pilots can get confused, not knowing which is up and down, and they get all this vertigo going on, whether especially in a fighter plane. And they can lose their sense of direction. They're so confused, they can literally fly that airplane right into the ground. And some of you have read or heard stories of that. And as tragic as that is, and I hope that that has not happened to any of your family members or loved ones, because I didn't mean to bring you more pain. I truly mean that. But even that, as serious as that truly is, nothing is worse than to be confused about how that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And worse, to think you have one with him, only to find out that according to the authority of the inerrant word of God, that you really don't, that somehow you believed a lie. And you went through your life believing that, and then you perished, thinking then that you'll wake up in heaven, only to find that forever and ever and ever you are separated from a loving God in a horrible place that the Bible would call hell. And I don't want that to be with you. Yet at the same time, as much as I don't want it to be with you, I, I, want you to, I can understand that you could have those times of confusion. And that's now bringing us to this message today coming from the Gospel of John. Because as Jesus Christ is giving forth his teaching, he's speaking to a group of people that, albeit, really didn't quite understand Jesus, and they lived in a state of confusion. And Jesus kept hammering back to them the truth, wanting them to understand what it meant, first of all, that he is God, and that he is the one who eventually will pay for sin, and they needed to engage Christ. And he uses various illustrations or metaphors to do that, hoping that these people would understand. Obviously, he knew all about these people, and who wouldn't and who would, because the Father would then give those who would come to him to him. But that being the case, I don't want you to miss that, because today could be the very day that your confusion will end. And those of you that are sitting there, maybe listening to me on the radio and saying, I already know Christ, I've engaged him, I've taken him as my savior. Then maybe today's message will enlighten you or inspire you to say, you know, this world is confused and it's my job to take God's word that is already clear and proclaim it to them to help them understand who Jesus Christ is. So let this message today be a motivator for you. Well, this is a very challenging passage. Those of you that read ahead, I want to commend you on going ahead and maybe catching up to where we are. And when you read it, it's hard to really outline in, in a real simple outline fashion. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you six words. Maybe you'll call them pegs or six words that you might use to hang on to as I take you through a short section of the Gospel of John in John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I urge you to open it up, invite you to then follow along. If you didn't come with a Bible, scoot next to someone or grab a Bible under the uh, seat. Or if you want to, you can look up on the screen. I also put it in your message outline there in your worship folder so you have it. Well, that being the case, there's six words. Let me also take some more pressure off of you. If you miss a word and you didn't get the word, don't go home feeling like, I didn't get this word, so I won't be able to finish my crossword puzzle of today's message. Even if you don't get the word, that's okay. What I don't want you to miss 
is the understanding that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died, paid for your sins, and you must engage him. And he's using a metaphor of him being the bread of life. And yes, you do need to eat him and drink him, but he's going to explain what that metaphor means in the context of believing. And I really want you to know that. And you might be saying, well, then why did he use it if it's so confusing? Because in reality, metaphors do help us to have a greater word picture. It's like surround sound, technicolor. It helps paint for us a picture in our mind that we can now see and we can now engage. And so that's why metaphors are good. But again, the metaphor is nothing more than a shadow of the deep truth of who Christ is. So our first word, since we talked about that already, is the word confusion. And let me just read at the beginning of verse 34 here of John chapter 6. I won't take you all the way through verse 40 because we went through that last week. And you can get a copy of that message later if you'd like. The first part, verse 34 says, Then they said, the Jews, to Jesus said, Lord, always give us this bread. Let's pause for a moment. What bread is he talking about? Well, if you recall, there were two conversations that were going around regarding bread. If you recall, there were over 5,000, close to 20,000 people at the end of the day that were hungry, they were listening to him, they weren't being fed, so Jesus took the loaves and the fish, he multiplied it, and he fed 20,000 people. So what about that bread? The other bread he talked about is the bread of manna. Now, those of you that are new, the children of Israel, you probably know that they were in bondage in Egypt. They were to go to the promised land. It should have taken only a few days. But because they disobeyed the Lord, the Lord had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Millions of Jews in a wilderness needed to be fed. And the Lord in his grace provided food from heaven, bread out of heaven which would be the manna form. So they're saying, what about this bread? And so they're all focused on the tangible bread. And let's go on. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So you can see the confusion. They think of tangible bread, physical bread. He's talking about intangible bread, spiritual bread. So he says, I am that bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Well, yeah, you're going to hunger physically. I've come to the Lord. I've trusted him. I've given my life to Christ. And yet I still get hungry especially when Carol's out of town because I don't eat real well, all right? But that doesn't mean that. It's talking about I don't hunger after the Lord. How many of you have ever misplaced your keys and you were pretty desperate because you were late and you had to find those keys and you couldn't find them and all of a sudden you found those keys, you took those keys. Did you keep looking for them once you had them? Of course not. You had them. Your hunger was satisfied, all right? Well, when you come to Christ authentically and genuinely, you're not going to be then leaving for other religions and other aspects unless you have totally fallen away from the faith, not lost your salvation. Because you don't hunger any longer. That's a promise of the Lord. And then he says, he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, that's interesting. You come to him, and then you've got to believe in him. A lot of people can come to Christ. They come to the knowledge of Christ. But they haven't totally abandoned their faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's what it's talking about here. So there was that confusion that was going on. Let me give you the second words. Move from confusion all the way down to another area, which would be the word criticism here. Now, why were they having trouble with this confusion? Well, they didn't understand Jesus. He was making bizarre statements to them. It was unusual claims. I'm the bread of life and... I'm the light of the world, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection of the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the, the life, and I'm the vine. He's making all those metaphorical statements. No wonder they were confused. And so now they're starting to criticize. Pick it up, if you will, at verse 41, and here's what you read. This is our passage for today as we go through this through verse uh, 59. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, 
I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Remember, he already said that, so it's in the same little uh, discussion that he's having here in the uh, temple there in Capernaum. He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they're all grumbling. Now, why were they grumbling? They were grumbling because they said, you know, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say he has come down out of heaven? Let's pause for a moment. That's a legitimate question, I would think. Here's this man coming to you saying, I came from heaven, I'm the bread of life. And yet I'm looking at this guy and I knew where he grew up. I knew his mom and dad. In fact, I knew what his dad did. I know all about this guy right here. How can he say he's from heaven? So they're grumbling. What's interesting is this concept of grumbling about Christ being the bread of life, it fits the Jewish people. Now, if you're Jewish, I really love you, but I think you know enough about your heritage to know that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were grumbling because they had no food. So what did the Lord do? He provided manna out of heaven. They got the manna. They ate so much manna, it was coming out of their noses, as Scripture says. And now they're grumbling about not having all that they wanted to have, so they wanted to have meat. Now, excuse me, they had so much manna, they were tired of manna, so they grumbled for meat. And when God then sent them meat, they ate so much meat, that came out of their noses. So they grumbled before it, they grumbled when they had it, they grumbled after it. They were just grumbling about what was happening. But in this context, it's different. They're grumbling because Jesus is claiming to say, yeah, I got my mom and dad, but I'm not of this world. I'm of the other world, and I came out of heaven from heaven as God to this earth. So he is claiming to be God, and now they're really having some challenge with, with that. So there's great criticism. Why is he doing that? Because in a way, he's claiming to be a little bit higher than God, or than higher than what these guys think that he should be. He's claiming to be God, so that causes some problems. I can only imagine that it was. I don't know about your background, but I grew up without a Bible. We never said grace, never went to church. I cannot tell you any time in my life that I didn't know that Jesus Christ was God. Now, maybe it was blind faith. Maybe it was because I was a generation that there wasn't so much out there that was questioning the deity of Christ. I don't know that. I do know that he was God. But I can tell you that I was fearful of dying. I was fearful that if I died, I would wake up in a literal place called hell. Well, these people were a little bit different. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ was God. They thought he was just another man who happened to have some unusual powers to do these spectacular miracles. In fact, they wanted those miracles. Forget this thing about being God. We just wanted to have the fruits of the miracles because this will help me right now, they're thinking. Also because they really didn't know him. They didn't know much about him. They just knew a little bit about his earthly life. But now it's starting to come together. Now listen, they're listening to him and he's about to say something that for a Jewish person is probably one of the most blasphemous things that they could hear regarding the eating of meat with blood in it and then drinking the blood. You've got to get ready for this so they don't understand this person. This is a guy, does miracles. We know where he's come from. He's claiming to come from heaven. He can do all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he's telling us that in order for us to have a connection to him and to another life, eternal life, I've got to go through this door of drinking and eating this junk. They really didn't know him. Now, maybe some of you are like that, and let me encourage you, please don't throw up your wall just yet. It does sound bizarre, but I promise you that it's not because Jesus is wanting to make a dramatic illustration. He is saying some dramatic statements, and he's saying it so dramatically to cause them to listen to him in such a profound way, and I hope you are too. In a few moments, I'm going to explain to you some religions that believe that when you take communion, that you are actually eating the body of Christ when you take the bread or the wafer. And when you drink the fruit of the vine, 
which is really not wine, but they put wine in there, that you're actually drinking the blood of Christ. What does that have to say? Is we going to get that from this passage? Others will go as far as to say, no, you don't eat his body, you don't drink his blood, but Jesus mystically appears, not visibly, but appears here in his presence. So he actually comes at the very moment that we are taking communion, and they believe that. We're going to explain what that means. And then what does Scripture really teach about communion, and how does this fit into communion? So again, these are bizarre statements, and we need to know the Word, and we need to know Jesus Christ. Well, it went from the confusion, then you had a bit of this conflict going on, criticism was happening, so Jesus now gives a comeback to all of them that were grumbling. Let's go back to the passage here in verse 43, and I'm going to read a little bit longer in this passage. Follow along if you will. So Jesus answered and said to them in a flat-out statement, Do not grumble among yourselves. May I uh, encourage you to do this? Sometimes when we're arguing and fighting, and we're arguing so much, grumbling and complaining, that our ears are shut off to the very truth that God wants us. So what he's basically saying here is, Would you all be quiet, quit arguing for a moment, quit griping and criticizing, would you slow down and listen to me? So he's saying, shut down just for a moment. Then he says, because he said, I'm the bread of life. And he says, I want you to listen to me. Don't grumble anymore. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So now you have God the Father that's actively involved in the beginning of our salvation. And I will raise him up on the last day. We sung a little bit about that today. There's something future that's waiting for you and me. At the last day when Jesus raises us. Now verse 45. And it is written in the prophets. And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Again God's position in the beginning of our salvation. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Which would be himself of course. He has seen the Father. Which would be Christ. Now verse 47 is very profound. He says, truly, truly. Remember, he used that phrase three times in this one chapter alone, 25 times in this book. Truly, truly, meaning listen up, so be it, amen. This is important. Look at me, he's saying. I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now, this is what's so critical about that. He who believes has eternal life. That means God initiates this And the process of our salvation provides it for us on the cross of Calvary. The Holy Spirit is involved in convicting us of sin. So God gives his son. Jesus gives his life. The Holy Spirit brings us conviction and understanding of the gospel. So all of this is brought to us as we're teaching about God. So that's God's part. Our part now is that we do the believing part. So there is a human responsibility of us having to do the believing. Now... I want to show you what this verse says. I don't know what translation you have. I'm using the New American. I like it for its accuracy and its literal translation. But it goes on to say, it says, He who believes has eternal life. If you don't mind, I'd like to clarify that just a little bit. I'm not clarifying the word. I'm going to clarify what this means and interpret it for you. First of all, there are a lot of people that have the aspect of, I believe. And so they think that belief is what gets them to heaven. In fact, they say, as long as you have faith, as long as you believe, you have eternal life. Some will try to encourage you to have more faith so you have more assurance of your salvation. Some will talk about a little bit of faith. That's okay, as long as you have faith. Here at this church, you're going to hear over and over again that going to heaven, there has to be our faith in Christ. 
Now, we've already taught you, so I don't want to take the time to go back over the passages. It's not how much faith you have. Scripture talks about the grain of a mustard seed, the faith of a little child, so it's not how much faith. We already know we have faith in this sense. If you trusted the chairs to hold you up, you sat in it, you believed they would support you, that's faith. So the faith is there now for you to do the believing. Now, here's the point. Just believing will never get anyone into heaven. You say, wait a second, it says just believe. It says he who believes has eternal life. He lives forever. But you have to read this in the context of what he has already said. So what he's doing now is shortening a little bit of what he already hammered, not once, but twice in the context of John. This is critical for you now. If you want to have eternal life, your belief, not works, not religious system, not social action, it is belief. Here it is, here it is. It must have the right object. If your faith has no object or does not have the right object, then your faith is in vain because it will not support you. So now, if you will, hold your place here, or if you want, you can write these references down just in the passages that we have given to you. Follow along, if you will, beginning in verse 29. Go back up to verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So again, I make the statement. Faith doesn't save you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. You must have the right object, and it must be Christ. That's the key. So he says here, believe in him. Verse 29. Drop down to verse 35, and you read this. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Seems like he said this over and over again. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So you need to see that he said it once, believe in him. It has to have the right object. Go a little bit further in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, in other words, you've got to come to the Son, you've got to see the Son, you've got to understand the Son, you've got to behold him, and underline that, believes in him. Again, it's not just I know about Christ, I see a historical Christ, I know a little bit about him, I, I'm coming to Christ. You can come to Christ, but then you've got to believe in Christ. And it says here, who believes in him will have what kind of life? Eternal life. And then he says, I myself will raise him up the last day. So he's saying over and over again. Now, folks, um, sometimes those of you, the longer that you're here, you're going to hear your pastor um, use illustrations uh, again and again that I've used. Some will be out of the story of my life, and I don't want it to be about me, but occasionally I'll, I'll use a story out of what God's done in my life journey. Some of you will hear it more than once. It's not because I'm so proud about these things that have happened in my life, but I'll share them more than once. But I will tell you, what is far more important is when the Lord says at one time, that should be enough. But if he chooses to say it over and over and over again, it's because he really wants to drill down. Peter and Paul both said, I say this again to you to put you in remembrance of this. Why? Because it's so easy to forget. So if I was to ask you in a quiz now, does faith save you? The answer is what? No. If faith in Christ does that save you? The answer is yes. Now again, when you say I have faith in Christ, some of you can say I have faith in Christ as being a great historical figure. I believe he's a great religious leader. Some of you have a Christ that you've manufactured in your mind and you trust that Christ to be a mystical Christ to you. In fact, if you want to, maybe some of you kids in high school that are out in the public school systems, you might quiz people and say, who do you think Christ is? Describe for me who Christ is to you. You're going to have Christ all over the map. For those of you, you just listen to late night comedians and they will march Christ everywhere. If you want to, look at the cartoons that you'll see and the editorial pages often about who Christ is. And it seems like society today 
has the freedom to paint Christ in any way that they want compared to what any other religious figure is, you cannot mention anything negative about them. That being the case, though, the point is, who is your Christ? I remember when I spoke at Promise Keepers, one of the first things we would do in our first message, we would have the thousands of guys out there, we would say, in the count of three, would you yell out the name of your church? One, two, three. And you'd hear thousands of guys screaming the name of their church, and then the speaker would say, louder, and they'd scream it again. And then they'd come back and they'd say, all right, I want you to yell out the person you're trusting in to get you to heaven. And everybody would say, Jesus, and they'd yell it again. Say it again! Jesus, say it again, Jesus. That was really great. Then I would come up to speak and I would say, you know, it is true. We're grateful for the churches or you people that are just coming from the world wanting to know about Jesus. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you would scream out Jesus. But the real question is, is it the Jesus of the Bible that you're believing in or is it a Jesus that you have manufactured that works best for you, that you have taken and amalgamated from all the other belief systems that you might have dear to you? So the real question is, are you believing in the Jesus of the Bible? In fact, Scripture is often referred to as the written Jesus, and then Jesus Christ is referred to as the living Jesus. So this is the written Jesus, and he's the living word. And you put all of this together, my friend, that's the correct Jesus Christ. So he had the comment. So why why weren't they getting it? Well, I think one reason is they just weren't connecting to Christ. Listen, listen. I believe while Christ was still speaking to them, they were bringing into the argument all their own beliefs and their own understanding. Watch this, watch this. Not because they wanted to question Christ so that he would cast down their wrong reasoning or even to answer their issues and their isms and spasms that they had. They were coming to Christ because they already said, we don't believe who you are. We just want more food. We want you to heal us. In fact, we want you to be king right now to take care of us. In other words, they weren't listening to him. Now, this is really important. How many of us will come to Christ and we'll argue with Scripture because we still want to own our own belief system instead of saying, okay, I, don't under- I believe this. I don't know if it's true. I need to know it from God's Word. And let someone be able to open up and from the Bible carefully show you, hermeneutically, which is the proper interpretation of Scripture, show you the truth. But come as a student. Come as a learner. Come as someone who says, I want to know Christ so I can believe him and embrace him. That was their problem. So they didn't connect to him. And there's another issue. It's not so much in this context. As progressive revelation was developing in scripture, when you don't know Christ as your savior, watch this, I'm going to say this in as much love. I I know I'm, I'm, I'm coming like a freight train and it sounds like I'm a rant right now. I'm not on a rant, but I am confident I'm passionate about this. But listen how much I love you, please. Scripture says that if you do not know Christ already as your personal Savior, you cannot know the things of God because they're only spiritually understood or discerned, as Scripture says. And it comes, once you've trusted Christ, there's a whole lot of stuff happens. You don't merely get fire insurance from hell. What you get is the Holy Spirit of God in you now. And His ministry, among many is to help you to understand this word here. These guys did not have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They did have the real Jesus speaking to them. But because they didn't trust Christ as Savior going into this thing, they were fighting so much with him. So Christ comes back with a real comeback, but they weren't there. Now here's my question to you. Are you ready yet to come to faith alone in Christ and then place your faith in him? How much more do you need? If there isn't any more... Do it right now. 
you're one heartbeat away from death. If you aren't sure yet, watch this. If you aren't sure, you're ready yet to place your faith in Christ. Because it is so critical to your entire priority system. I would not eat. I would not sleep. I would not do anything that I could until I discovered the truth for myself. Now, some of you, that'll be a longer journey, so maybe you ought to eat so you don't die of starvation. <laughs> but the point still being, you know where I'm going with this, that you would give everything, a full court press to know this because you are so close. And the Lord right now in his sovereignty is bringing you this message. Maybe he knows something, I, obviously he does, that you don't know. And he wants you to know this. What's the fourth word? The fourth word is the word contentment. So let's pick it up at verse 48. I don't know how many more times he can say this. I know you parents really can relate. In fact, you say, I've told you so many times, I feel like I'm blue in the what? Face, saying this. So I'm, if I could see Jesus, I wonder if his face was blue then. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Don't you get it? I'm telling you, they ate that manna, they died. I turned this this few loaves into more bread cakes for you folks over here, you're still going to die. But I'm the bread of life. And if you eat me, you will not die. So he goes on to say in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, meaning himself. This is the bread. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.